We're beginning a new series this morning, and um, it's going to be relatively short, I think. I'll let you know. But um, last summer when I was on vacation, I read a book by Craig Barnes. It was called Hustling God. And it was kind of the life story of Jacob. But it was good for me because this is a pastor who is writing kind of from the fourth quarter of his life, talking about how to finish well. I'm not saying that applies to me, but if the shoe fits. But, but as I was reading this book, I thought there were so many really amazing, relevant applications from Jacob's story that work in our lives. You know, I vividly remember being a young man and felt like the world was all ahead of me and I had so much to look forward to and be excited about. And I also remember the weight of the responsibility of being a new husband and a new father. And and I get all that. So I'm going to be very careful not to let this this preaching in this series be colored by the fact that I'm an old man and standing on the lip of the grave. I think the Lord has something to say to each of us, and I think it will be not only applicable, but interesting. All right, let me give you a little context first. Jacob, the star of our show... He's the grandson of Abraham, which is very significant. He is also the line through which God chose to bring the covenant promise, which is also hugely significant. And Jacob's story is told basically in Genesis chapter 25, where it will be today, through, through chapter 33, kind of off and on. And then at the very end of Joseph's life, we see Jacob's death in Genesis chapter 49. But I'm going to start this morning with the bottom line. Here's the punchline. Here's the spoiler. Jacob spent his entire life striving for something that God had already given him. It's crazy. All right, here's a little backstory, just in case you don't know the story. God wanted a covenant people, a nation, a people in the earth through which He could demonstrate His glorious blessings. So He arbitrarily chose a dude named Abram and and told Abram, I want you to pack your stuff, gather up your family, and go to another land. And Abram said, where? And God said, I'm not telling. I'll let you know on the way. Now eventually we know that on that journey, Abram's name was changed to Abraham by God and He proved faithful and obedient. So now it kind of makes sense why God chose Abram who became Abraham. But here's another plot twist. God had told Abraham, I'm going to make this great nation in the earth, my people, through you. And Abraham said, well, Lord, maybe you haven't heard, but my wife and I are not able to have children. And God said, I'm going to make a great nation through you. (laughs) So Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't make that work because they were not able to have babies. So they tried kind of to work their own way because they they wanted to help God. They couldn't do it. But finally, when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, Isaac was born. And God's covenant promise, we now see a way that that could take place in spite of ourselves. The Bible also says, interestingly enough, when Isaac was 40 years old, he married a lady named Rebekah, and she also was barren, couldn't have children. So Isaac prayed, and in response to Isaac's prayer, Rebekah became pregnant. 
and she was having a terrible time in her pregnancy and she went and complained to God about it. God, this is killing me. And God said to Rebecca, two nations are at war in your womb. And Rebecca said, well, I guess that would do it. And that's what I'm going through. Okay. So this morning we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 25, reading with verse 24. It says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with the hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So these boys are twins, but they're by no means identical. Esau was the firstborn, which meant all the inheritance rights of the father's estate would go to him. It's called the birthright. And in the birthright, the oldest son would receive twice the cash of all of his siblings. But the most important thing, he would be in charge of his father's affairs, his business, his estate, whatever was left. He took care of his mother and, and it was the, the authority and kind of the status bestowed upon the firstborn. But also, another twist to this story was Esau was the preferred twin. First of all, figuratively, because Esau was big and handsome and athletic and charismatic, and he would have been elected mayor. But he was also favored literally, because we're going to see in a couple of weeks in the story where his father Isaac blatantly preferred Esau to his brother. In fact, nobody preferred Jacob except his mother. And she was obsessive about how she preferred. You talk about a mess, a dysfunctional family. We'll look at all that. But what I want you to see here is that by virtue of being born just a few seconds after his big brother, Jacob had no hope whatsoever of having the blessing, the inheritance that Esau had, the birthright. And Jacob craved it. It drove him crazy. Now, the truth is, all of us have a dream. Or you might call it an alter ego. All of us go through that kind of mind exercise of what might have been. If I hadn't made that specific mistake when I was a kid. Or if I had just got in on the ground floor of that business, where would I be today? Or if I'd have married that other person I dated in high school. And, and part of the problem is we have this this filtered Instagram image of this perfect life that we're supposed to be living. You know, the good-looking me, the successful me. And, and for most of us, that's the blessing we desire. I want you to see that this, the birthright that we end up chasing is not so much about money for most of us. It's really way more about acknowledgement and recognition and affirmation. Or we might say fulfillment. We want to live a life on earth that's comfortable. You know, walking in the sweet spot. We just want more. We want better. Well, for Jacob, Esau was that dream. Esau was his alter ego. That birthright. He had to have it. Here's another issue. Esau was one of those guys that just stumbled into his dream. He didn't even want it. 
But he was big and handsome and, and everybody loved Esau. He was that trust fund baby who didn't care about the money. Jacob, on the other hand, was kind of the poster boy for the 21st century American dream. And what I mean by that, he was driven. And he would do anything to have someone notice him or to get the upper hand or to, to, to move up the career ladder. His name literally means striver or schemer. So Jacob is one of those guys, you have him at your office. He's always willing to work the extra shift, you know, and, and he, he's trying to get that promotion and everybody knows. And Jacob made it his life's ambition to get Esau's blessing and it consumed him. And the funny thing is, the sad thing is, he already had it. God had already promised it to him. So why doesn't he just relax and wait for it? Well, let's ask ourselves that question. Because I think the parallels in this story to our lives are embarrassingly apparent. Some of us are, are logging a lot of extra hours at work in the hope that, you know, the boss will come by and pat us on the back. and Or maybe that promotion that... You know, days are just full of meetings and emails. Don't you hate those little pink slips that says, please call exclamation point, exclamation point. And there's a stack of them. Can't get away. And you think, even after working all those extra hours and all that overtime, you're going to get home and finally get to just relax, you know, and maybe watch some sports on TV. But it never works out that way because there's a whole list of demands when you get home. Maybe you've got... Elderly parents you're trying to help out with or, you know, the toilet's clogged up again or, you know, you really want to spend some time with your spouse, but she's got a whole list of things you need to do and it's just too much. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you thought, well, this will be good because I'll just raise my children and I won't get in the rat race of the business world, the, the marketplace. And yet your life is a rat race. You didn't know you were going to be a taxi driver. Right from school to soccer practice to orthodontist appointments or this, this endless list of demands on your life from picking up groceries to taking the dog to the vet. And you thought maybe as a stay-at-home mom, you could go have lunch with your friends from time to time or maybe tennis lessons you could get a workout in. But it comes out, life is just a workout. So, as the days race by... And one just clicks over after nothing, and nothing seems to change. I just want to ask you, what are we striving for? What are we trying to achieve? And if I'm being really honest with you, becoming a Christian doesn't make it any easier. Because you're going to come to church on a Sunday and just worship and just enjoy, and you find yourselves on four committees and three volunteer fund drives, and you're helping with the kids' Christmas drama. You know, and, and, you're, and all that. And plus, you know, isn't living for Jesus supposed to make life better? But now you've got a whole other layer of expectations where, where you feel like you have to have the perfect family and your life has to be all together so you paste on a smile. And, and the truth is, statistics say that divorce and anxiety and addictions are just about as high in the church as they are outside the church. And truthfully, honestly... All we ever wanted was to someday stand before our Creator and hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
Well, then how did life get so stressful? But the Bible tells us in the story of Jacob is a perfect example. The Bible says that it doesn't have to be this way. And truth be told, biblical Christianity, Christianity as described in the Bible, is full of adventure and mystery and more gifts than we could ever handle. So why are we living this life? Janet told me that the Tuesday night study group is going to study the prayer of Jabez. It's in 1 Corinthians 4.10 and it says, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. And frankly, we get that so twisted. We make it part of this, this career advancement strategy that we have. And our problem is, for most of us, God already did that. Bless me and enlarge my territory. He's already done it. We just didn't see it. And we're so obsessed with what we want, we can't see what we already have. But the blessing, the blessing, according to Scripture, is pretty much the opposite of what we want. The blessing is what we need. It's not always what we want. In fact, if you look at the Beatitudes, it's kind of interesting to me. Jesus used the Greek word makarios nine times. The word blessed. And it literally is translated as the right path. Jesus said, here's the right path. But look at the context in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? Doesn't sound like the right path to me. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Frankly, I wish Jesus would have said, Blessed are those who are faithful to God, for He shall be faithful unto them. Because that's something I can control. See, I can do that. Or it seems like to me, maybe Jesus should have said, Blessed are all those who follow Christ, for yea, verily, all their problems shall be met. Not what He said. Seems like the right path to me. But that's not what Jesus said. So maybe Makarios, the right path, according to Jesus, isn't striving for what we want. Maybe it's acknowledging what we already have. And see, the thing is, we all know that the right path is uphill a lot of the time. So in our lives, the prayer, bless me and enlarge my territory, might just be a good job that we get to go to every week that makes the pair of bills. Or maybe it's you know get coming home in the evening to a faithful spouse and 2.3 children whose laughter makes your heart beat fast. Maybe, Lord, bless me and enlarge my territory means sitting down at a meal with some good friends. Maybe that's what we really want. Is that good enough for us? If it is, then why all the striving? Great story in Matthew chapter 3. Before Jesus launched his, early, his earthly ministry, He went out into the wilderness to be baptized by John. Now this is just crazy if you think about it, because here's John, the modern day prophet, who is preaching out in the wilderness, probably because he got kicked out of town. But John is insane. He's a wild man. He's the perfect kind of atypical prophet because he wears this camel hair clothes and eats whatever he can find on the ground. And when people do come out to hear him preach, he just rants on them. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And they keep coming back. 
And John says, you're, you're evil. You're a bunch of sinners. You need to get baptized. So they say, okay, John baptizes. So he does. And they go back home and sin. And the next week they come back and John rails on him again. John baptizes again. And this is the problem with John's baptism. It doesn't solve the problem. So they have to keep coming back. And the truth is, John's religion wasn't very complicated at all. John just said, if you obey the law, if you live right, then you're going to be spared when judgment comes. And the truth is, we kind of like that message. I mean, at least we can understand it. If I work hard, if I do right, then life works out like it's supposed to. Check. I get it. But then Jesus showed up. And turn John's theology on its ear. John's calling out sinners and he's threatening them with hellfire and brimstone. And then all of a sudden Jesus walked up and John knew this is the judge. When we stand before judgment, we're standing before this guy. So the people that came to, to be baptized, they were all sinners and they were flawed and they kept messing up over and over and over. And Jesus comes up and says, John, baptize me too. And John said, wait a minute, you can't be here. You're righteous. You're not a sinner. You haven't failed. All these people are failures. And Jesus said, I want to identify with them. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 3.15, it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all that God requires. In other words, Jesus is saying, God's plan was for me to come and live with these sinners as these sinners so they can see me and identify with me. So John baptized Jesus. The Bible says that the skies ripped apart and the Holy Spirit came down and settled on Jesus. And then a voice boomed out of the sky. Matthew 3.17 This is My Son whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. Listen to me, church. I cannot find in Scripture where God is pleased with someone for trying harder. But God is pleased with someone who is found by Jesus. God is pleased by someone who is brought in from their wilderness wanderings and find rest in the person and the, and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Remember when you were little and you would have done anything to get your parents' attention? Mommy, look what I colored for you. Daddy, I'm riding my bike without training wheels. Daddy, look, do you see me, Daddy? And I understand, I don't know this firsthand, but I'm told it's, a, it's all the worse if you are a younger sibling. Always feeling that pressure, pressure to measure up. And the truth is, all we wanted as children, and really all we want today, is for someone to see us and say, I love you just like you are. I accept you. I affirm you. It's hardwired into our DNA. And in Jesus, that's exactly what the Father says to us. I see you, I know you, and I still love you. I approve of you. You're cherished to me. Back in Genesis chapter 25, when God told Rebekah that she had two nations in her womb, God said something else that was pretty consequential. This is Genesis 25, 23. 
God said one people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Now, there's no place in the Bible that tells us that Rebekah told Jacob about this prophecy, but it seems to me like she would have. Because, I mean, she was totally wrapped up in her life. What we do know, though, is that Rebekah advocated for Jacob every chance she got. And we know that that family's lives they revolved around God's covenant promise. They were all about that. And here's what we know. Listen to me. I'm almost done. Closing with this. God had everything worked out ahead of time. Before he was born, God had chosen Jacob, not Esau. God had chosen Jacob to be the covenant carrier. And that makes no sense to us at all. And that's what the series is about. But when you think about this fact that Jacob was the promised one, he was the chosen one, and yet he spent his life paranoid. He literally spent his life never content, always striving, always competing, always pursuing Esau. Not the brother, the image, the authority, the birthright, the acknowledgement. And the irony for us is since before he was born, Jacob already possessed what he always wanted. So I'm just asking us today, is that us? Because our default setting is to yearn for approval and to want what that person has and to earn God's favor even though it's already bought and paid for. So the question I want you to wrestle with this morning is this. What do you want? Really? What do you want? And here's a bigger question. What if you already have what you want and don't even know it? Big news this week. You sports fans already know Tom Brady retired again. Now, if you don't know Tom Brady, he's the GOAT. The greatest of all time. He, he was 45 years old, played 23 seasons in the NFL, and holds virtually every football record known to man. In his playing years, Brady earned about $300 million, and he has a contract waiting for him at Fox TV to be a sports announcer for $375 million. Brady's married to a Brazilian supermodel, And they have two children, Benjamin 13 and Vivian 11. And what makes this story interesting is that while Brady retired this week, he also retired almost exactly one year ago. And news reports say that his wife has been after him since they lost in the 2017 Super Bowl. And she's complaining about multiple concussions and all the injuries he's having to go through. She wanted him to quit. And then Brady seems to really love his children. And we retired a year ago. He said he wanted to spend more time with his family. But after retiring last year, he stayed retired 40 days. And came back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And his wife, beautiful Brazilian model, packed her stuff and the kids and left. And so Brady played this year and his team lost in the first round of the playoffs. And now Brady has retired again. To what? 
At what cost? And here's my point. We don't know why Brady needed another year, but obviously he did. But I suspect that the lesson that Tom Brady is chewing on right now is that maybe there's something more important than football fame and fortune. And maybe he had it and didn't know that he already had what he wanted. Now, none of us is Tom Brady, but we're all Jacob chasing Esau. And I'm going to leave you with the scripture that this is the words of Jesus in Luke chapter... Oh, there's a picture of Brady. I'm sorry. I was supposed to put that up earlier. Josh, you're supposed to remind me when I forget a slide. Come on, man. It can't be my fault. I'm sorry. Luke chapter 12, words of Jesus. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. Afraid of what? Jesus says to us, don't be afraid. Watch this. For your father has been, past tense, pleased, delighted to give you the kingdom. Now, we could stop right there and everything's great. I'll take it. I'll go ahead and work my job and climb the career ladder and receive the gift, the promise. I'll go ahead and, and chase affirmation in my own life. I'll do everything I can to get noticed and get people to love me and receive that. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. In fact, when Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock, your father's pleased to give you the kingdom. This is how we're supposed to respond. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Randy, that's really hard. Well, maybe. But what do you want? Heavenly Father, we just pause for a minute. 